0: Asbury graduate Sarah Cuban was struggling. She had developed programs for years with HGTV and the DIY network, but on this day, something was bothering her.
1: I went down to my desk that day and I wrote on a post-it note, I want to be a part of stories that bring families together.
0: You'll hear next the striking way God responded to Sarah's desire. That's on today's edition of Belonging and Becoming, hosted by Asbury University President Dr. Kevin Brown. Since she graduated from Asbury in 2005, Sarah Cuban has spent nearly a decade cultivating series like Windy City Rehab, Say Yes to the Nest, Stonehouse Revival, Big Texas Fix, and Rock the Block. Grab some coffee and join Dr. Brown now as he talks with Sarah about how she got to where she is today as Vice President of Content for Magnolia Network. It is
2: my distinct pleasure today to be joined by Sarah Cuban. Sarah is the Vice President of Content for the Magnolia Network. She's had a very successful media career, and she is a graduate of Asbury. So it's a blessing to talk to you today, Sarah.
1: It's great to be here.
2: You've done really well in media, and I'm excited to talk about that. But I was wondering if you could just sketch your background, where you grew up, and how you ended at Asbury.
1: I am from Omaha, Nebraska. I heard about Asbury because several of my pastors went to Asbury. And then my stepbrother, Brent Gravy, also went to Asbury. I was planning on going to Baylor mostly because there was a cute boy who was going to Baylor. So I was going to follow <laughs> that cute boy to Baylor. And then at the last minute, my brother said, you should really go to Asbury. You could go to the Olympics. I had grown up a swimmer and I was like, sold. I'm going to go to Asbury. And I remember just walking on that campus and feeling like, yep, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I applied. I remember where I was when one of the admissions counselors, Ben, called and was like, you got in. (laughs) And I remember getting the postcard saying that my roommate was going to be Andrea Tinsley from McMinnville, Tennessee. Even those earliest moments had such an impact on my life.
2: Did you know you wanted to go into production and in media communications?
1: Oh yeah. I wanted to be Katie Couric before I even graduated high school. I knew I wanted to be a news anchor and I wanted to be on the Today Show. So, I mean, that was the reason I came is because I wanted a career in media.
2: So you mentioned the Olympics and you did get to have an experience in Athens. Could you talk about that? How did that affect you?
1: Uh, Well, it's, I mean, it was the whole reason I came to Asbury was because I wanted to go to the Olympics. And obviously it wasn't the reason I stayed at Asbury because, you know, the whole experience changed my life, but, Athens was awesome. I interned with CBC, which was Canadian Broadcasting Company. And it's funny because even now I'll get pitches from Canadian production companies. We're like, this is going to air on CBC. And I always think of those days of like sitting in that basement of the International Broadcast Center, logging footage, (laughs)
2: logging,
1: sailing from the Olympics where we had to like, every time the wind blew a different direction, we had to like mark it on the computer. Some days we'd spend our whole days just waiting for wind delays so that we could keep logging the sailing. I can't, I mean, it was just fun. It was a fun month of being over there, getting to be in the same building and rub shoulders with some of the great sports broadcasters. I feel like my job was so small in comparison to everything that was going on there. Mm-hmm. But man, to have that on my resume that I worked at the Olympics, Oh yeah. that was pretty amazing.
2: Sarah, you talked about the value of the Olympics, but also the value of just the Asbury experience in general. I like to when I'm speaking to prospective students and parents to say that Asbury is their story of belonging and becoming. So can you talk a bit about the impact Asbury has had on who you are now?
1: Yeah. If I speak purely about like my career, I don't know that I would have the confidence that I have right now had it not been for The training that I got at Asbury, I feel like they gave you this hands-on experience that wasn't just like classroom, but it was like real-life practical skills out in the field. They gave you so many opportunities to go out and have these like real-life experiences, so that when you did apply for a job, you could say, "Oh, I did that," or "Oh, I've been a part of that." And because of that, I think it gave me this confidence to be able to walk out and be like, "Yeah, I know how to do this." I also think that Asbury gave me this amazing. Resume before I graduated that I don't think a lot of other programs give you. You know, I look at a lot of resumes for interns that come through, and a lot of them are like, I worked at our college campus station, or I've done projects for my university, and I, I've seen very few that are actual, I worked for CBC or NBC at the Olympics. It's very few of those resumes actually have real life experience on there. I almost always hire the intern that has the real life experience. And I think Asbury gave that to me, you know, it's the reason that I am where I am today.
2: Does that characterize what you would say to a 20 or 21, 22 year old today that you need to get real world experience or what other advice would you give to a student who's looking to get into that field?
1: I would say, start at the bottom. I think a lot of students come out, especially after having really cool experiences in college, they graduate and they assume that, well, I've I've done this, this, and this, and I don't need to start. I, I mean, I could be a producer. I could be this. I could be that, whatever it is. It's like, no, you still got to pull cables. You still have to get people coffee. I mean, there are things that you do not want to do that you feel like are beneath you. And that's where people start to take notice. If you're willing to do anything, then people notice that. And that's how you get promoted within. I had a really unique Situation. I graduated from Asbury in May and then I didn't get a job until October at LEX 18 in Lexington. I got my first producer job and it was only because I was an intern there that I ended up getting the job. So I think internships are so important. Several of my interns we've ended up hiring because it's like, you know, our system, you know us, you, you know how to do this. But my unique experience was that I went to LEX 18. And I got there and realized that I didn't have the best mentor in my department. So I ended up calling someone from Asbury. I called and I said, hey, I need. I like. I don't know how to do this job. I have no idea how to be a promotions producer for a local affiliate. I don't know how I got the job except for saying, yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. And so they connected me, Asbury connected me with a former graduate who was working in Washington, DC at the time. And so I started sending him scripts, some of my video spots that I was making, and he would critique them and say, this is what I would do differently next time, or this is how I would change this. And we did this for about a year back and forth. And then one day he called and he said, do you want a job? (laughs) So when I think of advice for You know, college students um, or, or people who are just starting out, it's like find a mentor. Make everyone who is senior a mentor and really learn from them. Don't walk into a situation thinking that you know how to do everything. Whether or not you agree with them, they've been, you can learn something from everyone. Yes.
2: Yeah, I, I am really resonating with what you're saying. When I was a faculty member and met with students often, there was so much angst about, I have to graduate and I have to get my dream job. And I don't know where this idea has come from that day one, someone needs to step into their dream job and it's supposed to be amazing. I think of how unglamorous some of my early jobs were. But I love what you're saying to start at the bottom and to start somewhere. So this mentor you're working with in D.C., they finally offer you a job. Do you mind tracing your your career path from there?
1: Yeah. So I started at LEX 18 and then a year later moved to WJLA in Washington, D.C. I worked for Stan Melton. That was an Asbury grad. And he was awesome. He was just He had been in Dallas and several other places and taught me a lot about the news world. And it was a great four years that I worked for him. And while I was in D.C., I went to grad school at Johns Hopkins and got my master's in writing. I was there through the Obama election and inauguration, Mm -hmm. which was really cool to be in D.C. during inauguration year. That was a lot of fun. And then I think I was graduating from grad school And like that last semester of grad school, I had my appendix out and they found a tumor on my appendix that Mm. spread to my colon. Mm. And so then I ended up having like a foot of my colon removed. And I mean, it was like my thesis semester of grad school and that was happening. And it was the election year. Was it the election year? No, maybe it was a year after. Work was crazy. School was crazy. And I was super sick and stressed out all the time and news is just a really stressful it's a lot of like hurry up get it on the air everything's you know like just when you thought you had something set everything changes because that's just like news life and I had been in it for about six years and my mom said to me she's like you cannot do this anymore like you you are going to kill yourself if you continue down this path and so I started applying for a job a day I I guess I applied for a job at DIY Network. I got a phone call from them and she said, this is Lizette from DIY Network. And I was like, DIY what? <laughs> and she said, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was like, I, I don't even know where that is on a map. Like, I can't move to Knoxville, Tennessee. And she said, well, do you just want to send your resume and your reel? And, and I was like, well, that's fine. Sure. I'm happy to send that. And so I sent her all the stuff that they they had asked for, and obviously they were calling for a reason. And I remember going back home that night and looking up Knoxville on just like Googling Knoxville and what Mm -hmm. it looked like. And and I started looking for churches, and I was like, well, if there are churches there, I guess I could – I mean, (laughs) I could move to Knoxville. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be an adventure. I thought that I was going to move to New York or to L.A., and so to move to Knoxville was like totally not in my plan. But I ended up moving three months later and was hired as a creative services producer for DIY Network. And I worked on this small little network and it was good. It was totally different from working in news. In news, you were like a one-man band and Mm -hmm. you... you did all the producing and the editing and the writing and then you'd like run the tape down to master control and run up to where the talent were and record that with talent and then run back to I mean, every you did everything. And I got to this fancy network and I had an editor and I had a a music guy who would write music for me. And I had a sound effects guy who like put all the sound effects in all of my commercials that I made, or my teases that I made. It was like such a different world to Mm -hmm. go from fast paced news to like this network life. But it was good. And I was there for about a year and a half. And um, at the same time, I shot a documentary in Rwanda, just on my own. And I had done a couple other things. And I decided I didn't want to be in Knoxville anymore. And I was ready to go back to a big city. I was single and um this would be the perfect time to like get out and mostly i didn't want to produce 30 second promos anymore i wanted to do long form good stories that was yes. my whole thing was i just want to tell great stories and i was applying for a job at food network in new york and my boss the president of hgtv at the time came up to me she like cornered me in the kitchen and said i hear that you're applying for a job at food network and i was like i I, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> how does everyone know everything around here? And so she said, she was like, uh, you don't want to move to New York. I lived in New York. You, you'll live in a closet. Like you want to travel to New York. She she asked me, what, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to make shows. I don't want to make promos anymore. I want to learn how to make shows. And she said, great, come to my office and talk. So I like, went to her office and we talked all about how to make shows and my goals and and what I wanted out of this job and wanted wanted out of this career. Mm -hmm. And the next day, she said, there's a position open at DIY Network overseeing shows series for the network. And she said, I want you to go in and tell the GM of DIY, this is exactly what you say. So the next morning, I'm walking into work all ready to like walk into his office and tell him and he was walking in behind me. And he said, a little birdie sent me an email, come talk to me. And so... (laughs) I went up to his office with him and he said, you're hired. I was like, what? I've never made anything longer than 30 seconds in my life, except for these like one-off documentary things. And he's like, yep, I'll teach you how to do it. And so he said, I'll give you one series that's your own series. That's like in season four. So it's pretty much running on its own. I was like, okay, that's okay. And then he said, and everything else, you'll just kind of support the other programming directors and you'll learn how to make shows. They'll like teach you how to pitch a show and see a show from like the very first conception all the way to like getting the show on air. They're going to teach you how to do that. And I, I said, that's great. That's all I want. And then the next day he left to go work for Travel Channel. Like he literally was like, all right, I'm out. And I had a new boss in place. And that new boss sent me an email over my lunch break. And he said, here are your 17 series that you will be overseeing. So day number two on the job, I was overseeing 17 series for the network. And it was the hardest year of my life. And then I guess I, guess I, I, was, I ended up being at DIY and HG merged. And so I was at HGTV for 10 years. And then Magnolia Network came up and it was announced that Chip and Joe were no longer going to do Fixer Upper on HGTV, but that they were going to get their own network. We were going to turn DIY Network into Magnolia. And I had been sitting in a green light room and there was a show that came up that was called My Alimony Dream Home. And I didn't think we should be doing that show. And no matter how justified the divorce was, I still felt like divorce is a death of a family and death of a dream. And my parents were divorced and it was really hard as a kid. And so I really didn't feel like we should be doing that show. And I went down to my desk that day and I wrote on a post-it note, I want to be a part of stories that bring families together and then the very first, and that was in February. And in November, it was announced that, Mag- that Chip and Joe would have a network. And the very first thing that I saw from Chip and Joe about that network was, We want to be a network that tells stories that bring families together. I was like, All right, I guess that's from the Lord that I'm supposed to be going over to this network with these two talent that have never ran a TV network before, but let's go do this. And so um, for the last two years, we have been making shows and we are going to launch this summer in July.
2: Tremendous. You said so many great things and I really resonate with the the telling good stories. And could you speak to that a little bit? What is a good story? What is a redemptive story? How do you understand that? And what are some of those elements that would go into that that would characterize a good story for you?
1: Oh, that's tough. I guess you have to start with the audience. What's the story that you're telling and is it a story that they are going to care about? I feel like a good story has a great beginning, middle, and end. A great story has tension. A great story has big stakes. Um, one of the things that I love about this new network that I'm working on is that we really do believe that everyone has a story worth telling. Because Every single one of us, we're walking through something, or we've walked through something. The story doesn't have to be our whole big lives, but it can be just one. You can like narrow in, and it can be one little moment in your life that, you know, either changed the trajectory of your course, or it was just a moment that was like, that was a good moment. Like, that was a good story. We're telling all kinds of stories at Magnolia. And one of the shows that we're doing right now is these quick little like six minute stories about someone's life. Like there's a girl who is a blind horse jumper from Lexington, Kentucky. She went blind and everyone told her like, you'll never be a horse jumper and no one would coach her. And she was like, no, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to make it happen. And I think a great story is someone, you know, who is like, I'm going to persevere despite the odds, like someone who doesn't give up. And um, there are big stakes. I mean, there are big stakes for her. She cannot see and she's jumping horses. I think there's got to be some sort of resolution at the end. I hate a bad ending. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I cannot watch a movie with a bad ending. In fact, I hate a bad ending so much that even like the book that I read for book club last month, I went to the back of the book and read the last chapter first because I'm like, I I have to know how this ends before I invest in the beginning of the story. Maybe that's why I like doing the stories that I'm doing is like for most of the stories that I'm telling, I know the ending. When I worked for HGTV, like a house is going to be built. There's going to be a beautiful after at the end. I like stories that at the end it's like there's some sort of redemption, and I think that's true to all of our lives. Like I don't think that you always understand what you're going through and why you're going through what you're going through, but I think that the Lord always has some sort of redeeming quality or some. There's some sort of redemption at the end, and and in the end, I mean, you know this. Like it always makes sense. There's a purpose and a reason for everything that we've been through,
2: and that's the Christian story that we live in the narrative of God's story, and yet we know the end. That gives us a confidence. A couple of years ago, Asbury had the stepson of C.S. Lewis, Douglas Howard Gresham, come and speak on campus. And he was asked, who truly influences culture? And he said, look at the movie producers, look at the show producers. I was just curious as to your reaction. uh, As educators, we might have certain perspectives on who really is influencing culture. But I I thought that was a really fascinating answer. Look at the storytellers. How would you respond to that?
1: I have told you this when you interviewed me before, but I really see myself as an influencer to the influencers. I might not be at the head of the table, but I feel like I am in this unique position. One of the things that I have prayed for my whole career is that the Lord would give me favor everywhere that I go. I have seen where he has placed me in rooms, in situations that have either directly impacted what went on the air. There was a family that um, I ended up doing a show with and he was a pastor and she was an author and they had three kids and they adopted two children and we had never put Christians on HGTV before, none that I knew of. She was a Christian author and he was a pastor we didn't come out and say like, we love Jesus, you know, like <laughs> it was like the first time that I was like, wow, I can have kingdom impact with the people that I bring to the 111 million homes watching our network or yes. that have our network available. And like that was kind of a turning point for me. In the past, when I worked in news, like I just was reporting the news and news happens and you just report the news, just tell the truth, just tell the story. <laughs> yes. But this is the first time that it was like, I, I remember talking to the, the talent and I said, your influence right now is here putting you on with an audience of 111 million people your your influence is going to be up like it's going to put you out in front of so many more people that you you'll be able to speak into their lives and hopefully speak hope and truth and love and so like that was a that was like a powerful moment for me when i realized that like oh I get to influence the stories that all of these people, when they turn on their TV, after they put their kids to bed, like what they're going to watch. And that really is, you know, when I think of my alimony dream home, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that kind of story. I want to, I want to be a part of a story that offers hope to people and life and truth. And ultimately that, that Jesus is behind that, you know, like that it's his heart behind the stories that, that we're telling. I'm telling you, these are the people that are impacting our culture. And just on Friday, I told my husband, I want to quit. Like, I just don't want It's So there, there are days that are so hard, just like there are in every single job. Yes. And I constantly ask my husband, when can I retire? <laughs> like, <laughs> when can I be done with this? In fact, I I went on maternity leave from June until November, and I came back from maternity leave. And within that first week, there were Three different coworkers that over Zoom, I prayed for them. Mm. Um, There's a talent who is really going through a hard time and she does not know the Lord. And I was able to speak into her life and pray for her. And I was like, you're going to think I'm crazy but I'm just going to pray for you. And she said, Oh, thank you. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to pray for you right now while we're on the phone (laughs) together. And she was like, Oh, okay. And so I told my husband after that first week back, I was like, well, I guess there's a reason I had to come back to work. Like I know that Mm -hmm. the Lord's still using me. And, um, while there are days when I'm like, I just, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like there's a purpose and there's a reason that I'm, I'm still here. And, and I guess it's still to influence all of these influencers.
2: Yes. And some of our our listeners, a lot of our listeners would be familiar with the shows you've worked with. I'll name a few. Wendy City Rehab, Say Yes to the Nest, Stonehouse Revival, Big Texas Fix, Beachfront Bargain Hunt, and House Hunters International. Those are Brown Family favorites. My Lottery, Dream Home, etc. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. With one of those shows, did did you have a favorite or, or one that you had a particular affinity toward?
1: I, I've worked on a lot of shows. I don't know that I have had a favorite. All of them I have loved in different ways. Windy City was, that one was, it's funny how things get started. My very first show that I ever worked on, that my first series that they gave me on day one of starting was Kitchen Crashers (laughs) with Allison Victoria. And so Allison and I kind of came up together. In fact, we got married on the same day. We put Allison in like her real life flipping world That was super fun, just to like, and that show was crazy. I mean, that was full on drama all the time. So I love that one. My big family renovation with Brandon and Jen Hatmaker. That was a really fun one for me because I found them. I saw her on the Today Show. I called her. I asked her to sell her house and buy a fixer upper and live in it while she renovated it with her five kids and husband. Mm. And she went along with it. So, like, that was fun. There's a show that we're doing on Magnolia Network right now called Homework and Homework is this family she had three boys he had three boys they got married and then they had a little girl so they have seven kids and they bought this 20,000 square foot schoolhouse in Utah but 5 years earlier I had done another series with them and we did four episodes and it didn't rate as high as we thought it was going to rate mm-hmm. and it was called o- Old Home Love and Like, for the last six years, I've been saying, like, oh, my gosh, we need to do this. Like, (laughs) I cannot believe that you didn't pick up this year. Every meeting, I'm like, we should have picked up Old Home Love. We should have picked up Old Home Love. And then one of the first shows that Chip and Joe wanted to do was a series with this couple. And I was like, I told all you people, this is a show. (laughs) And it has become one of my very favorite. um, It's just, like, it's super fun to watch. It's super hard to make, but super fun to watch. So,
2: That is so cool. Uh, My, my wife, when she turned 40, she went with her sisters to Waco so that they could spend time at Magnolia Farms and just do tour all the different places. And she actually called it a, uh, Disney world for middle-aged women, which I I thought was a funny description. I, I think of the Branch Davidians when I, when I first hear Waco, (laughs) but, um, Not not anymore, I should say. But I'm asking on her behalf. And I'm sure a lot of people would want to know just as a a final question. What are Chip and Joe like? Uh, I'm sure they're amazing people, but I'd love to hear your experience of them.
1: Yeah, Chip and Joe are super kind people. What you see on television is what you get in real life. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Um,
1: Chip is really funny. I love to hear Chip talk because Chip, when he answers a question, he'll talk and talk and talk. And he'll just keep saying, like, I'm going to land this plane. I'm going to land it. And then he (laughs) keeps going. But he's funny. They love each other so much. Mm -hmm. Joe is super creative. They're very smart. I I remember two years ago when I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm giving up my whole career at HG. I, I will say that everyone thought we were crazy to jump ship at HG and go over to launch this network. Mm. And maybe we are crazy, um, <laughs> but it's been a fun, crazy two years. But I remember thinking like, should I really be doing this, launching this network with these two people who know nothing about running a television network, like know nothing about our world, know nothing how to, uh, about how to make television shows. And one of the things that, that Chip said that really resonated with me was we might not know how to do that, but maybe that's why this is going to be so successful Hmm. because we're going to do it different than they've ever done it before. And that's what I love. They're super creative. And they're like, when, when people ask, you know, we can't do that. They'll say, well, why not? Like what, how can we do it then? Let's figure out how to make this happen. Yes, And that's what I like. They're just dreamers and they'll keep pushing until they figure it out. So they're awesome.
2: That's wonderful. Sarah, you're awesome. Thank you so much. I know you are super busy. Thank you for taking the time to talk today and continue to let your light so shine for the edification of others and the glory of God. And among other responses, one is just simply thank you. I hope to to see you in person sooner than later. And uh,
0: again, thanks for taking the time today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's interview, and we invite you to join us next time for part two of Dr. Brown's discussion with Asbury theology professor Tom McCall on Wesleyan theology and why it matters today. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments on the podcast, we encourage you to email us at belong at asbury.edu. Belonging and Becoming is a production of Asbury University.